welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, an ongoing conversation with makers, thinkers, and doers, where we ask big questions of the small things. So even, even within that, there's that breakdown of we might be the same skin color, but our backgrounds are different and we don't know how to relate. Um, so I'm not sure. I think like a lot of things, conversations, because um, there's people who I've had conversations with that once we were able to talk about where we've come from, there's more of an understanding and the relationship is built and then there's a uh, safe space to continue asking questions and learning from each other. Um, so I think there needs to be more of that um, and opportunities like that. Welcome back to the second part of our conversation where we pick up right where we left off and jump straight in. Enjoy the episode. Your line of work isn't particularly known for making millionaires, but when we look back through history, it's often people doing very similar things to what you're doing that changed the world. So what led you into the work? And I guess maybe even more importantly right now during COVID and recession, What's keeping you in the work? Um, well, for me, I'd say I've um, always wanted to be in a profession where I could help people. Um, and obviously, in what I'm doing, I'm able to do that. Um, and I think what keeps me doing the work that I do is um, I feel like the at-risk population that I work with has a hard time getting the help that they need um, and have a difficult time being heard. Um, as we talked about earlier, so um, even, like I said, if we're not able, obviously, to solve all of their problems, um, it's it's great just being able to be an advocate for them um, and just uh, able to give them a voice um, and come alongside them and just assist where we can. For me, what led me into working with our immigrant and refugee neighbors in Sacramento is I know what it feels like to be the new one and not understanding the language or their culture. So when we, we needed to move back because of um, family health concerns um, to come back and support family. So we, this was um, a few years ago. So when the refugee crisis was happening, we were praying for our neighbors or for refugees and what was happening, and we wanted to get involved when we knew we had to move back to Sacramento, knowing that Sacramento is one of the most welcoming cities in the United States. And we knew that many refugees were being resettled here. So we were immediately uh, attracted to that, wanted to wanted to get involved with welcoming because we had been welcomed so well by our um, Malawian friends and neighbors. They are wonderful neighbors and helped us through so many different questions that we had and cultural blunders we made and language. And we wanted to be that. We learned from them what it was like to welcome well. And so we wanted to welcome well. Mimi, I'm curious, um, 
we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but I'm going to ask a question. You can just shut me down. I really appreciate what you said that you're drawn into it because it feels good to give them a voice and come alongside them where, where we can. Um, you're also a black woman living in America right now. And there's a lot of conversation about how black women really need people to give them a voice and have people come alongside them. So how do you relate to that national conversation and does that come into your own life and work? Um, it's, as you say, it's definitely been an, an interesting time. Um, uh, especially I think as a, as a black woman in, living in America right now, but also as a Kenyan black woman. Um, so there's, there's a couple layers to that. Um, and I've, you know, obviously there's been a lot going on. I've had a lot of conversations, uh, especially with family and close friends. Um, and, um, even I've even had to, I guess, in a, in certain settings, kind of take a step back um, because I think I I um, realized that I I hadn't had a chance to process everything that's going on and how um, it affects me. Um, so I think I'm I've definitely learned a lot about myself and even learned um, new ways to continue supporting people um, with with all that's going on. Uh, but I've also I think uh, become more bold when it comes to um, the the people that are around me, whether they're close to me or not. Um, I think um, throughout life and even just um, being an immigrant to America, um, you know, a lot of what I was taught growing up was um, obviously there's things that you should tell people that are not appropriate or call people out on things, but a lot of it was more to make, to, to have conversations that people were comfortable with. Um, or make sure that the people I was interacting with, um, especially when I was younger, were comfortable. Um, especially when I'm talking to someone um, who uh, was not black. Um, but I think through this and even just growing, um, I found that there is a respectful way that I can have conversations with people, but sometimes the conversations can be uncomfortable um, because I don't think people, um, sometimes they don't always, they, if you don't have those uncomfortable conversations, there can't be that growth or that learning experience. Um, and um, I and it's it's very out of my comfort zone, especially with with being raised that way. But I'm finding that um, even if it is, it's, I'm I'm stepping out of that because um, it's it's important to me that people um, realize that maybe what they're saying is not appropriate, or if if I have the energy in that moment, depending on who that individual is, I'm maybe even able to educate them about something or guide them to a place that they can get that if I'm not able to give that at that time. And you bring up the extra fold in your story, which is that you're Kenyan and you're an immigrant. And I would imagine that someone walking down the street wouldn't know that about you because you've been here for over 15 years. Um, and so just on site, you would get put in a particular category of just kind of generally being a black woman in America. Do you ever feel like there's parts of you that you have to fight extra hard for or parts of you that you feel like are being ignored in the national conversation that really should be brought to light? Um, you know, being um, someone from who is 
from one culture, but obviously also calls another culture home. Um, that's, I think that's something that I, um, I guess, work through even on a daily basis as far as um, just being very much so part of two cultures and figuring out where, where is the middle ground there. Um, because um, there are, you know, conversations I'll have with people where they say, yes, you are a black woman. And that, like you said, that is what people see first um, before hearing your story or anything else. Um, but I've, you know, had people say, but you don't fully understand the African-American struggle because you are an immigrant from Kenya. Um, but then on the other hand, I think um, I have lived here um, for uh, now even more so than I lived in Kenya. Um, and I unfortunately have had, you know, racist experiences. And um, obviously my, my background is different um, than some people who have grown up here as African-Americans, but there are um, areas that I'm able to relate and I think explain, like I, I understand where you're coming from. I may not understand all of it, but I am also very much so affected by what's going on um, right now and has been going on. And this is me bringing my own story into it. So tell me if this is not relevant to your story. My experience was I felt a lot of my uniqueness that I brought to the table as a third culture kid was dismissed because people just looked at me and said, oh, you're a white male American. And in fact, that was one of the reasons why I resisted a lot of self-awareness around my own whiteness and what it meant to have white privilege and what it meant to have male fragility. And even now, and coming into an understanding of what it means to have Christian fragility um, around culture wars and other things. And because I felt like, yeah, I, I don't know what it's like to grow up as a white male in America. Um, but I was put in the category of people who did understand it. And I was treated as though a, I understood it and B, I, I received the benefits from it. So it took me a long time to see that actually the second part of that was true, that actually I did receive the benefits of being in kind of that power centered white male American mythology. Um, I did receive the benefits of that in the same way that you received the tragedies of racism and other atrocities that are ongoing perpetuated by people like me, by white males often. And so when you're in those conversations as, you know, you're talking with other black people in your area and they say, well, you don't understand because you're a Kenyan immigrant. My mind immediately when said, but actually in some ways you have a more complicated, more nuanced, maybe even a, a better understanding because you understand the process of immigration. You understand what it feels like to immigrate and you understand what it feels like to be a black person in America. Um, correct. And um, in most conversations I've had, it, it has been great that it's open um, and I'm able to learn from other people and they're able to learn from me. Um, and I think breaking it down, if there's that time, I think helps people to understand um, where I'm coming from as well, because it's also looking at it, um, even when I go home, um, it's, it's different in that I, I am Kenyan, but now I'm seen as American there. So, um, there are times where, um, Kenyans there don't necessarily see me as someone who fits in there because, um, 
I'm very much American now. Um, so there's just, like I was, that's what I was saying, there's so many layers of, of being a black woman here who is from Kenya and an immigrant, but then also going home and being seen as I am a Kenyan, but I, I don't put in because I sound American now or I, I live in America now. And is that third culture identity, is that still a comfortable place to call home for you? Or do you lament not having a more homogenous background to call your own? Um, it's definitely something that um, I've struggled through because it is, it is wonderful. I definitely wouldn't change the fact that I've been able to experience two cultures. Um, but I think I've um, had to come to a place of knowing that I... I won't. I don't fit in either place 100%. That's that's just um, what it means to be a third culture um, or someone who has um, different cultures integrated into their life. Um, so I think it's finding ways to. Since this is where I call home now, but uh, even when I that to me that's still home. Um, so I think when I'm in those places, um, it's just finding how to be in those places and um, and that get easily frustrated by the situation or comments that might, that might be directed at me um, because there is an, there, there's no way to pull those apart. They, they are a part of me, um, and I think it's finding a way to weave them together so that there's a balance. Yeah, and it seems like your experience in some ways is really kind of the ideal that we're all shooting for, at least in our aspirational language. Like we say, we want to be a melting pot. We want to be more than just, you know, the house we grew up in. We want to integrate these other perspectives and cultures. We want to be inclusive. We want to have this great richness and, and texture to what it means to be people moving in the world. And yet, even as you're moving in those spaces, it can still feel othering. So how do you relate to that? Can the, the national conversation right now, like, do you feel like there are things on one side or the other where you're like, oh, I feel like if we just change this language over here, it might actually move us closer to the real goal we're going after of creating space for all kinds of people. Um, or yeah, how, how are you relating to that? Um, to be honest, it's something I think I'm still processing um, and trying to figure out, I think, where I'm at and all of that. Because I think for a while it's been kind of more of a, holistic, um, what's going on with the people around me. Um, I've been involved in protests and just um, just there's a lot out there right now. Um, I think even there's times I've just been taking breaks. Um, so I think it's something that I'm still uh, thinking through and processing um, and just kind of honestly daily trying to figure out. Um, I don't really have something I think solid that I can share right now because I'm um, so I guess a work in progress. As a person who is working with um, immigrants, uh, specifically young adult and children who are starting to feel that tension, what wisdom would you give to someone working with um, young people who are experiencing that? Um, and obviously, this is my, my own personal experience, but um, and I mean, it, it takes time. I think there's there's I can't imagine. Um, I remember I came when I was young, but there's still that adjustment of um, getting to know the culture that you're in, um, which I think is important, um, and embracing that um, fully and being able to understand it. 
Um, but I think it's letting them know too that I'm I'm thankful that my parents, um, uh, you know, we spoke our mother tongue in the home, um, and uh, they still shared kind of our cultural background with us um, because I I think um, that gets lost sometimes. So um, for for that those children kind of knowing that that's still a part of them, um, but that it that they can um, I guess come together. Um, it shouldn't. It shouldn't have to be one or the other, which um, sometimes I find that even going home with the youth now who are very, I only want to speak English. I don't, you know, want to speak my mother tongue. Um, I think there's the beauty in still, still knowing where you come from, but knowing that where you're, cur- you're, you're going to take on um, kind of the, the place that you're currently living. So I think it's finding that balance because I think it's difficult when, um, at least for me, trying to say, well, I'm just going to be the one thing or, or just this other um, thing. I think it's finding a way for them to um, to enjoy where they've come from, but also growing and learning about the new place that they're in um, and knowing that it, it'll, it won't always be comfortable. Even with me being in my 30s, there's still times where it's like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I definitely um, have two different cultures that I'm kind of processing through, um, but I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, because it, like I said, it's helped me um, relate to very different people and understand, um, like you're saying, working with immigrants, like that just immigration process and how difficult it was, and um, just what so many people are going through. Um, I, I think it's a very beautiful thing if if they're able to hold on to both. Thank you, Mimi. That was really good, and I wrote down everything you said <laughs> because. I think um, I think that's something that our kids are really struggling with, um, and I think to be able to have wisdom from someone who who has experienced it to to be able to share with them um, that it it will be uncomfortable, but uh, there is a balance that needs to be struck, and also. Um, to grow where you are and to and to see it as beauty like you're important for our community like we need you because you see things that we don't see you're unique and we we need you to um, to make us whole feel like this is touching on a really important idea that I wrestle with because I don't know how to relate to it. So I'm, I'm seeking wisdom here. Uh, I've, I've had a few conversations with First Nations people. And as part of their story, I've heard a couple of times this idea that like, well, because I wasn't born on reservation land or because I didn't have pure blood from this particular tribe or because I didn't even know what tribe I was from until later into my adulthood, um, other people, other First Nations people have, you know, kind of excluded my voice from the conversation, what it means to be a First Nations people. And and then I, I think we're also on, um, we're watching right now Padma Lakshmi's Taste the Nation, which is a fantastic show, um, really celebrating the diversity of what food in America is and where it comes from. 
but in that show, there's a few different times where people will say, you know, we're, we're creating this fusion. Um, but it's not, but, but essentially they get a lot of pushback from people who are trying to hold a, a tighter sense of cultural identity. And, and, and so there is this, this tension that we have of like people saying, you know, this is what it means to be Kenyan, or this is what it means to be Chinese. And now that you're living in America, there's all these voices saying, this is what it means to be American. And, and it's, you know, there's this huge tension in the middle of how do you weave a braid from those two strands? Because it seems like there's going to be some people on either side who look at whatever tapestry you've woven out of the two and still dismiss it as not authentic because it's not purely woven from one strand. And yet I struggle with that idea. I, I wrestle with like, because there is beauty in this cultural preservation and what it means to have these really clean ancient ties to cultural roots. And there's something beautiful about being able to make something new from many. How are Mimi, how, how are you? I mean, I, I know it's still in process, but um, you're living it in a way that I only can see in from the outside. So I'm just curious about your wisdom in that area. Um, and like you said, that, that it is difficult. Um, I think uh, I've, you know, interacted with people who are even not necessarily Kenyan, maybe from other parts of Africa that are very like, I'm African. Um, I don't want to be known as African American. I don't understand the African American culture. Um, because that's not my home, and then vice versa. Um, of you know, I'm, you know, where you're from. You're able to, to tell me what town, what country, you know, in Kenya, whatever that might look like. Um, and it's it's difficult when when you're trying to take two two cultures and, um, like you said, weave them together. Um, and I I don't know what the answer is for that because I've met people that are open kind of meeting in the middle and it's beautiful to see when um, they're able to share from both sides and come together and um, learn from each other uh, but I, I don't know what it will take for people that are very like you said I, I want to keep it purely this is my culture um, I I don't kind of want to mix with someone that doesn't isn't fully from here um, so even even within that, there's that breakdown of we might be the same skin color, but our backgrounds are different, and we don't know how to relate. Um, so I'm not sure. I think like a lot of things, conversations, because um, there's people who I've had conversations with that once we were able to talk about where we've come from, there's more of an understanding, and a relationship is built, and then there's a safe space to continue asking questions and learning from each other. Um, so I think there needs to be more of that um, and opportunities like that. And Becca, in your neighborhood, you're witnessing these conversations happen in real time over tea and in people's living rooms and at the park and after school. And so, so fill this out for me. What my imagination brings is a sense that refugees would have a very strong desire to maintain a connection to home, which might 
lead them towards saying, you know, we have to do things in a certain way because the way of doing things or the way of making food or the way of dressing is the remind is is the reminder is the memory of what has been lost and yet now they're in this new place and so what does it mean to create something new and beautiful and valuable here so how has that been how have you guys been in the middle of those conversations in your neighborhood yeah um usually it's with moms and dads who are who are a little bit nervous maybe that their children are losing part of their cultural identity. And then on the other side, there's conversations we have with children or young adults saying um, they want to be accepted here. So they feel like they might have to, they feel pressure to put away or maybe not be so upfront with some of their home culture, um, whether it's dress or language or anything. And I think for, for Luke and I, we've tried to communicate how important our neighbors have been in, in our community, um, the different uh, aspects of their culture that are like really very important is um, relationship and hospitality. Um, they are incredibly, incredibly hospitable, and they will... So as an example, I have never been on a picnic where we make kebabs and barbecue and do those types of types of things um, with my refugee neighbors when they have not shared their food with a stranger. They will always give out part of their meal that they've cooked. They prepare, they bring extra knowing that I'm going to give this to whoever's at the park with me because they don't see themselves as just the individual, but as part of the whole. Very, very community focused. And that is something that we desperately need uh, in our neighborhood um, to, many people just see themselves as individualistic. This is me. I I worry about me and mine and that's it. Um, And that's, in my opinion, I believe that that is suffering our makes our community suffer um, it doesn't um, help establish relationships or friendships with those around you so i see our neighbors what they bring from their home country and culture builds us up and makes us better um, and there are things um, here that i know that there's opportunities given to our new refugee neighbors that they might not have had the opportunity to do before, which benefits them and is good for them. So there's a really, there can be a coming together, but I think it um, has to be done in a way where we are very intentional with seeing the image of God in others, being respectful of uh, what, who our neighbors are and, um, and not just seeing them as a, Oh, they. We need to give to them. They they're so needy, but seen as what a true friendship is. Is um, we both grow and benefit from being together. Does that make if that makes sense? <laughs> yeah, that's that does, and that's so beautiful. And it seems to me this whole conversation we've been having about holding multiple cultures in tension seems to be at the very heart of that 
great and mystical American dream. That to say that, man, we all have things to learn from each other. We're all better when we share. We're all better when we're less tribal and more connected. I mean, that seems to be like in in the bloodline of kind of American greatness. And yet it's metastasized because that idea has been sequestered inside the white male tribe for so long that now it's this really exclusive thing, this very exclusionary, derogatory, combative, and violent idea um, that says, you know, if you want access to this greatness, you must look like me, act like me, talk like me. Um, and it, it is a loss. And, oh man, I just, I, I, I would wish for the world that your wisdom and Mimi's wisdom could just be sprinkled like pixie dust on everyone and we can all just like because i think we would we would be so much better if 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 we held the world in view like the way you're talking about the world i also you know you said this beautiful line you said individualism makes our community suffer and I think that's really profound. Um, well, first of all, it's profound because it's so obvious, because right? you use the word individual and community um, in the same line. What, what I love about this idea that the that the in, that individualism makes our communities suffer is that for so long, individualism has been sold as the key to flourishing. I mean, you can look back at ads from post-World War II of, you know, the idyllic suburban home and, and this prosperity of, of American uh, superiority. And all of it is based on selling this idea of being an individual, of, of distancing yourself more and more from the extended family, of distancing yourself physically more and more from the community center, right, moving into the suburbs. And that was sold as like, this is your ticket to a happy life is to be individual. And here we are now 70, 80 years later, and we're looking at it and, and we can just clearly see from our own lived experience that individualism makes our communities suffer. Take it away from there. What, what else you got for us? <laughs> Give us more wisdom. You're dropping bombs. I love it. Oh man. Um, yeah, I I think when you have um, so much pride in yourself thinking that you don't need others, then you isolate yourself because why would you put yourself out there like you don't need anybody else? So like for, for us in, in Malawi, you, you couldn't live as an individual, it wasn't possible. First of all, the community wouldn't let you because they're super relational, which is amazing, which I love. You can't be lonely there. Um, and second of all, there are things that you had to do together. Mm. You just had to. Um, if the water was turned off by the city, you had to go get water from um, a pump. Like you, That's just what you had to do. You had to talk to your neighbors. Do you have electricity? Or is it just my house? Or is there something wrong? Or is your water on or something? Like you just, you, you have to talk to each other. Um, you have to rely on each other. And that makes the relationship stronger uh, and the community stronger 
because we all know that we can't do it alone. So we have to, to rely on each other. Man, this has just been a lot of fun for me. I really appreciate because you so practically live this stuff out. This isn't an academic conversation. This isn't just kind of a emotional conversation around like a, a national event. Like this is your daily reality. And there's just so much wisdom uh, for me and, and others too to glean from, from hearing your story. Yeah, I hope people feel more comfortable with being awkward, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. like it's okay to put yourself out there and do something cross-culturally uh, with people who don't look like you, sound like you, or speak the same language as you. Um, yeah, embrace the awkward because... Mm. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> and you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised and you'll grow. If I could connect a few more words, I think we can be surprised at how human we become when we connect with people who are from different parts of the world mm -hmm. and how much we can grow as a human in our own bodies and in our own stories and our own cultural identity mm -hmm. by cross-linking and laying ourselves over and upon and under other cultural views and perspectives, right? Like tossing a warm blanket on a bed, right? It just, it just makes the whole experience richer. Absolutely. I think richer is a great, a great word for it. I, I know that my life and my neighborhood is richer because of my neighbors that weren't born here and don't speak English as their first language, but they've brought so much richness into our community. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining in this ongoing conversation as we seek to unearth meaning in the everyday stuff of life. For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, visit us online at www.ofdustanddivinity.com. Join our Facebook group, which is called Of Dust and Divinity Podcast Community, and engage us on Instagram at Of Dust and Divinity, all one word. Hey, and if this conversation was meaningful to you like it was meaningful to me, leave a rating and a review on your favorite streaming platform so that more people just like us can discover this podcast and join the conversation themselves. And don't forget to subscribe. Here is a sneak peek of the next episode. Enjoy. It's difficult to relate in that way and not feeling that I've been given, you know, a great many, what did she say, boxes of darkness. Um, but I also recognize that that is so, that is so good. And it's so true um, that, I mean, sorrow is useful. It really is useful. Um, and I guess the ways that I've suffered are really a lot of time um, just more empathetically. Um, I hate, I hate suffering. It really weighs on me. Um, but boy, I really, I think I have seen that it is, um, it is useful. It's, it's useful in refining myself. And I think that I've seen it, um, refine those that suffer too. A huge thank you to my wife for supporting this passion project. And a great big thank you to Michelle Lim of the Everly Collective for all the brand content, including the name of this podcast and the cover art. 
As you go through your day, remember these words of Rainer Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart, and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you, for you would not be able to live them. And the point is, to live everything. Live the questions now.